We're continuing our series. It's been a few weeks since we uh, started the series called Underrated. And what Underrated is, is it's a series that we're trying to explore certain qualities about the Christian life that sometimes we underrate as less important or as insignificant in bringing about big changes or bringing about a potent transformation in our life. There are some certain things that, um, that we've gotten used to that we just feel in our head, oh, that's not going to change anything. That's not such a big thing. It's not going to make any difference. And we underrate the power of certain things. Today, I want to focus on the power of small things and how we underrate the power of small things in our life. You know, we tend to have this kind of general mindset that bigger is better. In fact, if you go down to the States, you'll see that one of their models that they have is go big or go home, right? And I'm sure that you guys had that. And, and I have that in my mind too. If, if you're going to do something, if you're going to join a sports team, if you're going to join, you know, some kind of sports club, the mindset should be, hey, we should win it, right? And that's why we go into it. So we go big or we go home. But there's also power, there's tremendous power in small as well that we tend to underrate its importance. The Bible highlights this underrated quality, this underrated quality of small in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10, we see this quality prop up where God himself says to the prophet Zechariah, say this to the people because the people need to hear this. And he says this, who has despised the day of small things? Who has despised the day of small things? The context of that verse comes from this. The people of God were returning from exile. What exile was is they were like, pushed out of their own nation by a stronger army, by a stronger nation. And finally, that nation let them go and said, okay, you can go back to your own country and rebuild again. And so as all these people are coming back, there's one man named Zerubbabel. He decided when he looked at the temple of God, which was utterly destroyed, the temple was a magnificent structure. Right, that even other nations will look upon it and say, this is a great wonder of the ancient world. But it was all in rubble. It was destroyed. It destroyed their, their sense of identity, their sense of faith, everything, because it standed for their God, what their faith meant to them. And as they saw it in, in ruins, this one man, Zerubbabel, he came and he says, let's rebuild the temple. And the only thing that he had was a plumb line. So what a plumb line is, it's just a string with a piece of lead attached to the end of it. And what master builders in that time would use a plumb line for is that they would hold it up in the air, let the the plumb um, line drop, and then it would form a very straight line so that they can measure against of how they would build their walls. So their walls would be built straight. So when people were looking at that, 
the nation said, all you have is one man, Zerubbabel, with one plumb line, right? And you're going to rebuild that? Do you know how long and how many people it took to rebuild that? It took years and years and years, all of these resources, and so many people. But one man with a plumb line, what's he going to do? In fact, it wasn't just the other nations that were making fun of them and just saying, that's going to do nothing. It was even the Jewish people, his own people that were so disheartened and discouraged that they said, What's, what difference is that small gesture going to make for our nationhood? How is one man possibly thinking that he can rebuild a temple with simply a plumb line? You see, in response to the people's doubts, in response to all the other nations that were coming to them and just saying, you guys can't do anything. That's not going to change anything. And even if you start, where are you going to end after all of the years of effort that you put in? There's no way that Zerubbabel can rebuild this temple and the next temple is going to be smaller than the original one. But God says this. He says to the reaction of the people who were feeling it's not going to make a difference, God says, do not despise the day of small things. It will surprise you how one small thing can actually change everything. You know, God uses a lot of small things throughout the whole Bible to alter destinies, to alter outcomes. Remember, God used the twisted tongue, a small piece of Moses. But Moses kept saying, my tongue is no good. I can't really speak really well, right? I stutter all the time. He used the small tongue of Moses to lead a whole nation from oppression and slavery to freedom and nationhood. God used the weakest clan of Manasseh and from Manasseh, the weakest family. And from the weakest family, the weakest person, Gideon. And even Gideon said, I am the weakest of all of the tribes. I am the weakest of all of the clans within the tribes. My family is the weakest of the clan. And I am the weakest of my family. He says, I am so insignificant and small. You cannot use me. And God, what does he say to him? Rise up, great and mighty warrior. God used one small stone and a young shepherd boy to overthrow Goliath and the entire Philistine army. We also see God using the birth of a baby boy Jesus. Rather than coming in this extraordinary strength, rather than coming in this extraordinary overwhelming power, he comes in this vulnerable state of a baby to alter the fate of humanity and give hope to the world. This is why God says, do not despise the day of small things. I can use anything to make a difference. You know, we see the same principle true in our everyday aspects of life as well. Look at the power of small things that we see in our everyday. The importance of honeybees, something that's so small, 
in pollination. In fact, the work that they do is so crucial to our crops and to uh, the things that we get from the earth that feed us that once the honeybee population begins to dwindle, it will have a severe effect on what we can eat. How about the irritability of bedbugs and lice? Have you guys ever have to deal with bedbugs? They're so small and they're so tiny, but they cause so much pain, right? And so much work to find them. And once you get it in your house, it's almost impossible to get them out. They're so resistant. How about, have you guys ever heard of COVID-19, <laughs> you know, the virus? How about that, something that small that made our whole world stand still for two years? How about finding immense Im uh, energy output at the atomic level, right? We've all heard of the hydrogen bomb. Right? Something that is so microscopic, but the fission and the fusion that takes place at the nuclear level, that's something that is so small that even a microscope cannot see it, but it creates so much energy. And then I'm sure each one of you, at some point in your, of your life, you've experienced, whether it may have been a small touch, where someone puts their hand on your shoulder when you were feeling so down and so dejected, that one touch gave you strength. Some of you guys had the gesture of one kind word that you were spiraling in your own mind in total devastation because of whatever happened. But someone speaks one kind word to you and it's so life-giving that it changes everything. How many of you also had a mentor or someone in your life come alongside of you at some point and inspire with one word a vision for your life that redirected your future? This is why God says, do not despise the day of small things. See, many of us, we underrate our own abilities. We underrate our own circumstances. We underrate our own particularities as reasons why God cannot use us. We sound very much like Gideon. Who am I, Lord? I am the least of my, of my tribes, least of my clan, least of my family, right? Who am I that you would think that you can use, you or, um, use me? Or what is my gift that's so small and insignificant that you feel like you can do something great with it? And God says, do not despise the small things. You know, we can give our greatest excuses of why smallness is insignificant. But God says, no, just give me that. And I can do great things with that small thing. In fact, the end of the story of what we began with in the Zechariah passage, where he says to all of the people, do not despise the day of small things. We actually see the outcome of what happened after Zerubbabel was something that was so insignificant, a plumb line just said, I will help rebuild the temple and it's just him. Because when we turn to Ezra chapter 6, verse 14 to 16, 
we see that this temple that began with one man and then seven other people joining him to rebuild this temple, we see it fully rebuilt in Ezra chapter 6. In fact, after it was rebuilt, the, the result that we see that arises from that is it had not just a tremendous effect on seeing that temple rebuilt, but for the whole people and for the enemies as well as they saw the work that was done and the work that was completed, they were all in awe. In fact, that day when they came to the temple to worship together and and to assemble together as people, the description that we see in this passage is this. It says that the people celebrated with joy. There was a renewing joy that came back into their hearts. This joy, it renewed their spirit again. It revived their sense of identity. This joy, it helped them overcome the lies of the evil one that seeped in because of their first exile and losing everything. They were scared. Should I put hope in something again in in case that I lose out? In case that my last glimmer of hope, whatever I have, I'm so worried that it will be trampled upon. So that these voices that come into our head that tells us there's nothing good going for you. Or why do you think this small thing is going to bail you out this time when every other time you were in that darkened place? It silenced the outcome of seeing this temple completed. It silenced every voice that was in their head that spoke against them and told them that nothing can be done, that you are stuck in your circumstance. You see, and the greatest thing that this completion of the temple did for them is it allowed them to experience God's power at work in their everyday life. As they set to rebuild this temple, and I'm sure there were days as they were doing it, they felt like, when is this ever going to be done? Did I just undertake a task that I'll never be able to finish? Are the people right telling me I'm doing a foolish thing? Am I setting myself up for further failure and further disappointment? But instead, as they overcame all of that and they saw to completion the building of this temple, it renewed them. So now they could look back and understand why God said to them, do not ever despise the day of small things. See, brothers and sisters, when God gives us that and we look at ourselves and all we have in our hand is a plumb line, something that seems insignificant compared to the task at hand. Some of us, we look at our own lives and we feel like as we look at our whatever resources that we feel that we have and just how small it is or whatever quality that we, we feel like we possess, but that quality is insignificant compared to how advanced other people are in that quality, we can feel that same thing is that it's too small. It's not going to make a difference. There's no way I can excel or compete or be healed like other people. But God's message for us today is this is don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise the plumb line that you have. We bring it to God and we go through the process with Him. And as it is completed, we're able to see not only God restore 
a great aspect of our life, but it silences the voices of the evil one that's in our head, and it brings celebration and joy for other people around us as well. So with that as our background, let's look at today's passage. And as we continue on with the small, look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 to 32. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 to 32. You all know this passage. It's a famous passage. We've all heard it many times. And I'm hoping to bring to us a a fresh new look, a fresh new perspective uh, for understanding this passage today. It reads this. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch at its branches. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with your word. As we journey through this together, may we not miss what your spirit wants to implant in us. We may feel, Father Lord, it's another Sunday. It's another message. We do this every week. We feel it's insignificant compared to everything else that we're dealing with. We feel, what is this? going to do in solving my problems that are financial, that are relational, that are health-related, that are something that are chronic that we're going through. May we not despise these small things that we inlay into our life so that we can continually see you work out your great purposes in each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that I want to point out from this passage is we see worth and intention. We see worth and intention being brought out in this passage. What do I mean by this? Well, it's a very short passage and it's well known. But for Jesus, this was a very important passage. This is why he begins by saying, do you, know, do you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? You know, that's a primary theme of our faith, right? What is this kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about that brings us the greatest joy, the greatest sense of completion, and where God is leading us to and renewing our world to go back towards? This kingdom concept is so important that Jesus says, do you want to know a little bit more insight about God's kingdom? Who wouldn't want to know? I say, yes, tell me what is this kingdom about and I want to be involved in it more. Show me the way so I can experience this kingdom. Jesus is about to share something with the people that is eternal, that's incredible, and that is life-giving. And then he begins by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like... And he uses mustard seed. I'm not sure if any one of you guys have ever seen a mustard seed, but it looks like this. Oops. This out of the way. This is a mustard seed. It's incredibly small. It looks incredibly insignificant. And he says, this is what God's kingdom 
is like. You know, there's a bunch of information here in this, in this short passage that I don't want us to miss. Notice that Jesus compares God's kingdom with something that is so small. He calls it the smallest of all garden plants. In other words, for some people, they simply see God's kingdom as so relatively small and insignificant compared to everything else in their life. We sometimes do that too, right? We look at Sunday services and we see this little small speck on our fingers like, what's this going to do, right? It's okay. I skip Sunday service. I skip worship. I skip Bible study. I skip all of these other uh, spiritual disciplines that I have in my life. It's just this, right? It's not going to change my life. Flick, and we just flick it away, right? And I'm pretty sure if we came upon it in our life and we saw something that insignificant, we just flick it. I would do the same thing. If I saw something like that, I wouldn't give it a second thought. i just look at it and go, oh insignificant and flick and cast it away and a lot of times in our life we do the same thing in our engagement with God the Holy Spirit comes a small speck of this kind of impression that he puts on our heart come and pray come and spend time with me but we see it as small insignificant what is this (laughs) we we just stumble upon that kind of like sense that God is speaking to our life but we're like no flick Right? We, we come into Sunday service and we're like, oh man, I'm so tired today. But then there's an impression that God puts on our hearts, come into worship. There's a word I want to share with you. But it's so insignificant. We know what it feels like. We know it's small. And the thing is, we have our whole day prepared and we're going to go to Canada's Wonderland with our friends. Sounds so exciting. But then worship, it's kind of interfering because I need to get there at 10 o'clock. But worship starts at 10 o'clock, right? So flick, right? God doesn't mind. It's okay. Because we don't see it as making a difference. We don't believe that something that small can grow into something significant. And we simply flick it. Notice also in this parable that Jesus mentions that it is a person. More particularly, he says, it is a man who sees worth in something so small and then intentionally plants it. Why is that important? Well, if you read the previous chapter in Matthew chapter 12, we see another passage about seeds being spread. You guys remember that passage? Some seeds are spread on the path. Some are are spread around the rocky places. some um, um, Some on thorns and then some on good soil. But in this passage, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't mention just a person or just a man was spreading seeds. He uses a very particular career. He says there was a farmer. So farmers, they know. They're the experts. So if a farmer found a seed, a farmer would know the value of what seeds are. And so we would automatically assume, of course, if a farmer found a mustard seed, they would know the value and they would plant it. But here, Jesus doesn't use the term farmer. In this passage, instead, he just uses an ordinary person. He says, just an ordinary person who is not a farmer. So he doesn't farm for a living. Suddenly, along his way, finds a mustard seed that looks insignificant. Looks like it's not going to really change his life. But this ordinary person sees worth in what appears so insignificant that despite whatever things that he has in his day planned, 
despite other things that he should be doing. He takes time to take that one seed, goes out into his field, digs a hole, makes sure that there's good soil there. He intentionally plants it. And by planting it, meaning that now every day, despite all of his other responsibilities, despite all of the other businesses that he has to conduct, he'll come back, keep watering it, taking care of it, protecting it as it begins to grow. An ordinary person sees significance in something that is so small where other people would simply flick it away. See, what this means is that each one of us have the capacity to be able to see when God introduces that whatever mustard seed into our life, we have the capacity to be able to see worth in what God is giving us. We don't need to be an expert. We don't need to be a pastor. We don't need to be a spiritual scholar. It's an ordinary person. When God presents us with a mustard seed, and for some of us, we may look at ourselves and just say, I'm not an ordinary person. I'm not God. I can't see the worth inside of me. And God says, yes, you can. And I'll help you see it. Sometimes we have certain resources in our life, and we feel like no one else sees the significance of it. They would just throw it away, but God says, nope, that's not worth throwing away. It is significant, and I'm going to help you see it. But the challenge that we all have is this. Since we're not farmers, since we're not pastors, since we're not, most of us are not, you know, engaged in, in faith in a professional way. The challenge that we have is, despite all of our other responsibilities that we're engaged with, are we willing, just like this man, to take time and invest and be intentional with the seed that God reveals to us? Or will we dismiss it? Because our attitudes and our mindset is what we find in the Old Testament when people said, what's that small plumb line going to do? It's not going to change anything. You see, it's, it's easy to underrate the value of God's kingdom at work in our life. God can use anything that appears so insignificant to impact us in a transformative way. It may be something that's really small inside of us that we refuse to value. That God is saying, see, this is what I'm giving you. And we're like, but it's so small. It's, it's nothing. And, you know, no one else sees worth. And I said, God says, I see worth. I need you to see it too. So plant it. Invest in it. It may be something outside of us. It might be a community. Right? It might be encounter. Right? Like, encounter so small. Right? And we're nowhere near being, you know, offering all of these other things that bigger communities can offer. Or, you know, I'm looking for this incredible, you know, worship music so that I can feel like it's like leading me and I get uh, wrapped up in that mob mentality. I want something like that. But we don't have that. We have something small. It seems insignificant. Or there's not many friends. Or there's not many people in my age group. Or there's nothing this. But there's something small. And God says, plant it. He says, be intentional with it. He says, invest in it. And it will grow. It may be also uh, something that we understand in our life 
where God says, whether it's inside, whether it's outside of us, that he presents to us as a mustard seed. The main point is if we just simply flick it away without seeing its worth and being intentional with it, we can easily miss out on the power of what God wants us to experience in and through it. You know, I have this lawnmower at home. It's a real lawnmower, not R-E-A-L, but R-E-E-L, right? So it's one of those push, you know, you got to push it. It's a manual one. And there's a blade reel on it, right? That just cuts the grass as you uh, put muscle into it and as you push it. Well, uh, this one, you know, it was left here by the previous owners. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a cheap guy. So I said, oh, awesome, free lawnmower. So I started using it. But the blades were so rusted and so dull that I, I felt like, man, I got to sharpen the, I got to sharpen the blades. So I took apart the wheels that was holding the blades together and I took the blade out and I put this kind of like, um, this, uh, kind of grimy substance on it that helped sharpen it. And I kept sharpening it, sharpening it. And finally it looked good and it would cut paper so well. I'm like, awesome. I have almost like a brand new lawnmower. I started putting it back together, but there was one part that I wasn't careful with because I didn't think it was insignificant. As I was taking the wheels apart, there's this one small part that fell out. It was the cylindrical metal piece and there was nothing about it. It's just a little small metal cylindrical piece. And so I was putting it back together. I couldn't find it because there's a little small hole that attaches the, the plate of the a blade reel with the pinion gear and then with the wheel. So what the wheel does as it attaches to the pinion gear, it turns it and it turns, the, it turns the blade. But without that small little metal piece to be stuck inside, it doesn't provide grip. Right? So when the wheels turn, it's supposed to turn the, it's supposed to turn the uh, blade reel. But because that's not there, it just slides. There's no friction. Right? So it slides off. And so even when the wheels are turning, the blades don't turn. And so... I want to tell you how insignificant this is. So I went online to find the manual that shows every part of this very model of this reel um, lawnmower that I have. They named every part of that lawnmower except that. They just put a stick to it, right? And they just put a number to it because they had no name for it. That's how insignificant they thought it was. But something that insignificant, if you miss it, because as you're taking it apart and it flies out and that's what happened. As I was taking things apart, you know, it flew somewhere and I couldn't find it in my yard, right? But when you miss that, despite you having a perfect looking lawnmower, when you're trying to cut grass, because there's nothing that holds the wheel to the pinion gear that connects it with the main uh, reel blade, you can't cut the grass if it's too thick the wheels will just spin without spinning the blade. And I tried cutting my grass, and do you know what happened? Uh, it kept jamming because there's no friction there to hold it together, and then eventually my grass looked like a mess. It looked like an animal came and just, you know, bit here and there, whatever, and it was patchwork. It looked so ugly that I got so distracted, so angry, I went, ah, oh, forget it. And I tried to find the part I tried to put sticks in there. I put in other metal pieces that kind of fit, but nothing would fit except that one piece. And they don't even sell it. And so finally, I had to end up buying a new one. But when I saw that, I just realized that whole thing 
its whole significance rests on something that is so insignificant and unnamed. And it got me to think in that same way, in our Christian life, in our relationship that we have with God, I wonder how many of us have that one small piece that we don't want to name. We don't want to bring up because it's insignificant to us or we feel like it's let us down in the past or we feel like, you know, what's the big deal about this one thing? But just like that lawnmower, it holds things together. And when we are not intentional with that and we simply dismiss it, the effect, the overall effect, even though our life looks normative, it looks good, it could be patchwork jobs that our life begins to perform because we miss out on that significance. See, brothers and sisters, just like this guy, this man who saw significance in the small, he was intentional and he planted it, so too must we be intentional with the small thing that God brings into our life because he's not trying to say, just do it because I'm telling you to do it. It unlocks God's kingdom experience for our life. And isn't that something that we're all longing for? Lastly, the last thing that we see from this passage is we see refuge and peace. We see refuge and peace. The second thing that I want to point out in this passage really is the fruit of what comes out of, being, of seeing worth in that mustard seed and being intentional with it by planting it. Not only does the seed, as Jesus shares, become the largest of all garden plants in the garden, he says the ultimate result at the very end is this, which is ironic. He says, and then birds of the air will come and perch in its branches. I know for us, we're like thinking, what? So what? Who cares? Why, why is that such a big deal? It's a big deal because when we talk about plants, usually Jesus talks about the fruitfulness of that plant or it bearing fruit. But in this case with this mustard seed, he doesn't talk about the fruit that it will bear. He talks about the influence of the growth. He says it becomes so big and so influential that he says, even birds of the air will come and perch in its branches. Now, in every other um, a Bible verse that talks about birds, birds are usually talked about in a negative way. Birds are talked about like, you know, as in the previous passage with the seeds in the four different soil conditions, it's talked about like Satan, right? He comes and he plucks it. He's like a bird that comes and takes away the seeds. In the same way in a garden, when you look at a gardener, the last thing that you want to do, and I'm not a gardener, but I had some limited uh, hand and, and experience with gardening, but I don't like birds in my garden, right? Because as soon as birds come, what do they do? They eat your seeds, right? And they leave a mess behind. I don't like birds. You don't want birds in the garden. But here, Jesus says, in a garden, birds begin to come. In other words, the things that don't belong in a garden, like birds, they will come and perch in its branches. 
The things that don't belong in the garden will come and find refuge and peace. I think this is significant because he says, as we begin to grow in this kind of way, God's kingdom is such that not only does it grow in us, but as it grows in us, we become an ambassador of what God's kingdom looks like. So that those who don't belong in God's kingdom, those who are not following Christ yet, like these birds that don't belong in the garden, like the people of this world that wouldn't want to follow Christ, yet they come to you and they find refuge in a relationship with you and they find peace in a relationship with you. And they like to stay there. What I like to think is happening in this passage, Jesus is saying is, as we grow, and as we begin to experience God's kingdom growth in us, our life becomes attractive. The way that we treat other people, the way that we conduct our business, the way that we, um, we live our own life with ethics and morals, it becomes so attractive that what the world doesn't get from their own peer group, maybe because there's no shared value there, maybe because everyone's always stepping on each other's toes, maybe because they can't really trust these relationships because everyone's always trying to one-up the other person, but not with you. For some reason with you, they find that you're not trying to use them. You're not trying to gain an advantage for them. They see something else. They see a security in you. They see a new hope in you. They see kindness in you. They see a love in you. They see a real hope. And they just want to be near you. They may not be part of this garden yet. They might cause disruption in the garden and always just eat at your seeds. But they keep coming because they find something of worth. See, brothers and sisters, the celebration that we see happening in, in the book of Ezra, where all the people rejoice as they see this temple finally built, we can't underestimate we can't underrate the value of finding something small and investing in it as God leads us. Now, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take time. There are moments where we want to quit. But if we let it grow, he says, it not only grows, it becomes one of the largest, most sturdiest, most stable plants in the garden where birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. I pray that that will be the kind of life that we begin to experience and we begin to share with people around us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with your word, for challenging us with it. And I pray, may we not despise the small things, especially as we learn about the mustard seed. I ask, Father, that Whatever that may be for us, it may be a certain thing about us, Lord, that you are raising up and that we have undervalued. It may be something outside of us, maybe our engagement with faith community that we, that we underrate and we cast aside. I pray, Father, that the way that your spirit reveals to each one of us what that one thing may be that we've been constantly 
just flicking away. Help us to see the value that you see in it. Help us to see the worth and be intentional in planting it. Be intentional in seeing it grow. Be intentional in our patience so that we can celebrate the good work that not only are you doing in us to complete us, but how this becomes a blessing for other people around us as well. Thank you, Father. We commit all these things to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.